If you think about most people within the academy, they tend to work within the same types of institutions, even if they work at multiple institutions. And there's a similarity there as to how you get things done. For someone like me who's worked at multiple institutions, I don't have that lens because I work at a lot of different places and have seen uh, the same things or same problems attacked in different ways, which I think forced me to always be asking myself, well, how could we do this differently? How can we solve for this? And simply because this is the way we've always done it, it does not mean this is the way we have to try and solve that problem today. everyone, and welcome to this episode of An Ingenious You, the podcast where we speak with higher ed's most creative thinkers and doers. Today's guest is a highly innovative and entrepreneurial thinker and leader. Dr. Robert E. Johnson was appointed as the sixth president of Western New England University in Western Massachusetts in August 2020, right as the pandemic was taking off. And he was charged with leading the institution as it embarks on its second century. His unyielding belief in higher education as a public good and as a path for transforming individual lives has led him to dedicate his 30-year career to preparing students to adapt and to succeed in a dynamic future. And as you will find out, he is a future-focused thought leader and commentator on issues concerning the future of work, agile mind education, and the agile university, among other things. Dr. Johnson's leadership career is wide-ranging, spans nonprofit colleges, universities in the Northeast and Midwest, including public, private, urban, rural, small, and large institutions, and also spanning public research universities, one of the nation's largest single campus community colleges, a large Catholic university, a historically black university, and a turnaround and transformation of a small private college. And his career reflects several firsts as not only an African-American leader, but also the youngest person holding major senior administrative roles. Now we will include Dr. Johnson's full bio in the show notes as we always do. But Dr. Johnson, it is my pleasure to welcome you to the Ingenious You community. Well, thank you so much. I am delighted to uh, be here, uh, Melissa. Uh, it is, uh, we live in interesting times, particularly within the academy. Oh, that is certainly for sure. And I'm looking forward to getting your take on that uh, in, in greater depth uh, in our conversation. Now, we like to start our conversation by learning something about our guests. And I know from what I've read about you that you certainly uh, have been impacted by a, a, a number of important influences. So can, can you tell us how your professional and educational journey has been shaped by what influences and in particular, uh, the way in which you think about education today? Sure, um, I, I have been influenced um, by a number of people and in a number of ways. My very first job in higher education was at Central State University and HBCU in Wilberforce, Ohio. I worked for then Dr. Arthur E. Thomas, who was president. I was the executive director of, um, of enrollment and marketing. And even though I wasn't on the cabinet, and I was only 26 years old at the time, 
um, uh, one of the youngest, if not the youngest, to hold such a position at any college or university in the country. Uh, Dr. Thomas would invite me to all of his cabinet meetings and allow me to listen. And sometimes he'd actually let me talk. But after each cabinet meeting, he'd spend 10 or 15 minutes with me and explain why he made the decisions he made. He gave me a lens to his thought process as president. Now I'm 26 years old, sitting at the feet of a, uh, um, uh, 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 of a president who was also known as a very innovative president uh, back in the, um, the mid eighties at that time. And uh, so he inspired me to become a, um, um, a college president. He used to ask me, he used to say, you're gonna become a president. I said, no, I'm not. He said, yes, you are. And after I worked for him for about four or five years, he, um, um, uh, I, I had this epiphany and said, this is something I want to do. So in terms of the presidency per se, he was, he was the one that probably had the greatest influence. In terms of my philosophy and my thoughts uh, about education and higher education, there were multiple people, uh, including my mom, my dad, uh, and my uncle Bob. And let me talk about um, um, my mom. Um, my, my mom used to always say, look, you just do the right thing. And if you do the right thing by people, you know what, everything else will work out. That is one of my core leadership values even to this day. Um, my dad uh, used to just talk to me in general all the time. Uh, he used to um, drive me around. I grew up in Detroit up to the University of Michigan uh, and said, you know, a lot of great thought leaders have have come uh, through these these hallowed doors. He wanted me to go to Michigan so bad, uh, it's not even funny. Uh, but I ended up going to Morehouse College, which was also the alma mater of my uncle Bob, Robert E. Johnson, who was the executive editor and associate publisher of Jet Magazine. But he was also classmates with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, in the class of 48 at Morehouse. And um, I think between my mom, my dad, and my uncle Bob, they were the ones who really gave me that sense of, of humanity and um, you know, trying to make a difference. My mom used to say to me, your primary role in life is to make a difference. Doesn't matter what kind of job you have, doesn't matter what kind of work you do, you must make a difference. When you think about my value system as it relates to higher education, leading institutions, uh, touching the lives of the next generation of young people, those were the primary influencers uh, in, in my life when it comes to my, my thought process. What a rich, rich legacy that you stand on um, and you are able to articulate it in, in a very powerful way. So thank you for sharing that. Um, your, your story, your personal story is very inspiring. Now, your leadership, as I said, your leadership career is uh, amazingly wide-ranging. I'm not sure I have uh, interviewed someone yet whose career spans the, the, the variety of institutional types uh, and roles that yours does. And you've been a college president before. You have been a chancellor. What is it about Western New England that attracted you to the president's role? Um, I think Western New England University is uniquely positioned as a private comprehensive university to do some things that large institutions can't do and many other privates are not equipped to do. Uh, when we think about uh, preparing our students for the powerful preparation for the future of work, uh, I think that 
uh, we uniquely are positioned uh, to stand on the three pillars that, 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 that build upon that. One being the new traditional university, which is about um, um, uh, keeping all of the great things uh, with the beginnings of the academy as it relates to the mentor-mentee relationship, uh, but also embracing new modalities of teaching and learning. Uh, the agile mind education, which is the second pillar that we stand on, which is really teaching young people how to learn, unlearn, and relearn uh, as a steady state and add value in all that they do, knowing that they will have upwards of 17 jobs in five different industries, and three of those industries do not exist. The agile mind education is about uh, giving uh, our students the essential human skills that cannot be replicated by an algorithm, AI, or a robot. And then um, personal exploration and growth, helping every young person to discover their why. So when you look at the balance of programs that we have, from a law school uh, to pharmacy and health sciences, to our three colleges of engineering, business, and arts and sciences, we have this plethora of programs that are uniquely positioned in the marketplace to give students the skill set and mindset to be prepared uh, for the workforce, not only now, but also of the future. Uh, knowing that our primary job is to help students get that first job uh, with the proper skill set uh, and then give them the mindset to understand that they will create every job uh, thereafter. Think about this. If you look at the programs that we have, um, there's no other university in the country that is a private university with less than 5,000 students with our balance of programs that is preparing students to learn, unlearn, and relearn with learning agility. We are uniquely positioned to do that. We're big enough without being too big and small enough without being too small. 63% of our students uh, are in our undergraduate programs. 37% of our students are in our graduate and professional programs, including the law school. Western New England is uh, currently a hidden gem, but pretty soon we're going to let the world know how great we are. Can you go a little deeper for us in terms of what you mean when you say a new traditional university and how is it different from the old traditional university, if you will? Well, right. So let me let me let me start with the latter. Um, so the traditional university. Um, you know, we go back to the original academy. It was all about imparting knowledge, right? Uh, and as we imparted knowledge, there was an element of standardization of, of, of what was taught and what was learned. And, um, you know, yes, we did have to, have to teach people back then to even critically think. Uh, that, was, that was an intricate part of the traditional educational model. Uh, and you have the, 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 as I mentioned earlier, the the, the mentor, mentee, uh, faculty, student relationship, which was e e essential. Um, the new traditional university holds on to all of that, but says we also need to give students the essential human skills that will enable them to learn, unlearn, and relearn as a steady state. The traditional university, with the exception of a few professions, you go to school, you get a degree, and by and large, it was not necessary for you to go back and and uh, retool yourself. You know, engineering, 
some of the sciences, medicine, and a few others, it was, it was, it was a requirement. The new traditional university, because of today's workforce needs, is that the job you have today is going to be very different than the job you have five years from now. I'm reminded of a young person uh, who was in New York City uh, who graduated, I believe, from NYU. Uh, he took a job right there in the city of New York. I cannot remember the name of the company. And he literally wrote the algorithm and program that eliminated his job. So our young people, um, when you go into a job, you have to ask yourself, what's next? Because this job in its current state is going to be different. The new traditional university asked the question, what are the new modalities of teaching and learning that's going to enable our students to have the skill set and mindset to learn, unlearn, and relearn as a steady state? And I think that is the distinction. It is really about skill set and mindset. It's about learning agility uh, as as a um, as a as a as a core requirement of the educational process. Not not a nice to have if you're going to survive and thrive in this economy and the economy of the future, it's gonna be necessary. You take myself, you talk about, um, I'm, I'm probably the only or only the one of a handful of, 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 of presidents who has worked in every not-for-profit higher education sector, two-year, four-year, public, private, large, medium, small, sectarian, non-sectarian, HBCU. Um, Going in and out of those different types of institutions, I had to learn, unlearn, and relearn, but it also uh, enabled me to take the best of, of, of how those different types of institutions uh, did things and create an ethos for the way that I lead and the way that I do business. And by the way, if I'm still doing my job today as president the same way I was three or four years ago, I'm obsolete. So as a leader, I have to do that. Uh, I have to encourage uh, my leadership team. I have to encourage our employees to do that. We have to be in this state of reinventing ourselves as a steady state. So the new traditional university is really about new modalities of teaching and learning that makes learning agility at the core of who we are and having a mindset that learning, unlearning, and relearning is, 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 is what we do um, just as standard operating procedures. As a new president, you come in and launch a strategic, a new strategic direction. Uh, can you talk mm -hmm. about how how did this strategic vision direction come about? How much of it was you uh, mm -hmm. inspiring the vision, and how much of mm -hmm. it was involving the community? How did how did that work? Well, all of it was involving the community. So what I did is I had some. Um, uh, I started in August of 2020, and in that fall, I started a series of listening sessions uh, for the sole purpose to create a shared vision. And I met with some 35 to 40 groups. Now, keep in mind, it was COVID, so almost all of it was virtual. Um, and so faculty, staff, alumni, students, community leaders, I uh, met with them in small groups and asked them um, I had a series of 10 questions um, that I asked every group and um, asked them to respond. Uh, those same 10 questions, we also, we had built a website. People could go out and put their answers uh, on those questions, I mean, to those questions. Uh, we ended up um, with some uh, close to 500 responses, either in person or virtually. 
we codified all of that information. And based upon that information, uh, it created what we now know as our strategic direction. And uh, with that strategic direction, it drives us. So it was not my vision, it was the shared vision of our, um, of, of our community and of our various constituents uh, internally and, and externally. Um, did the listening sessions in the fall. Um, we codified the data uh, that January and February. Um, we came back to the community to uh, say, this is what we heard. Uh, did we get it right? <laughs> um, and of course, we made some modifications. And by um, late spring of uh, 2021, um, we have what we now know as our strategic direction and our vision and our path forward. And my position was that even though we were in the midst of um, uh, an existential crisis uh, with, with COVID, that we could not and would not take the bunker mentality, that we could walk and chew gum at the same time. Mm -hmm. And um, we built our vision. And my goal was that as we were coming out of COVID, that Western New England would also be uh, uh, rising from the ashes, if you will, um, uh, uh, in this new higher education market, because I knew it would be new, uh, because the world was changing in real time. And what I understood, what I understood from a leadership perspective is that um, this is not one of those times where we wait and see what normal is going to look like. We're at, we, we, we were at, and we are still at, um, 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 an inflection point within the history of the academy where we're writing with the next chapter of what higher education will look like. The last time we had this type of inflection point was uh, post-World War II uh, with the onslaught of uh, community colleges, the rise of public universities, um, uh, the GI Bill, so forth and so on. So for leaders who understood the moment uh, going back to 2020, and even today, and I think for the next two, three, four, or five years, um, that we're writing what normal will look like. I think we will have uh, an edge above um, um, others. Those who are waiting for normal to reset itself will be behind the curve. It can take, as you know, two to three years sometimes to, to come up with a, <laughs> a strategic vision. And you did it in less than a year. I mean, you had it yeah. done before mm -hmm. your first year anniversary had passed. So Correct. Uh, so that had to involve a little bit of active, uh, I don't wanna say pushing, but I, I would imagine uh, that, that, that the process was something that was carefully managed and moved along uh, so that you could have a, uh, an ending point, if you will. I have found that when you engage people and you listen, not talk at them. Um, that is really not that hard. And you know, I you, you know, you say you think it was rather quick. I think it was rather slow. <laughs> uh, and maybe okay. that, and maybe and, 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 and Melissa, maybe that's the um, Melissa, maybe that's the the innovator in me, the entrepreneur in me. You know, you know the, the you know the entrepreneur's creed is. Uh, fail early and fail often. And, yes. um, you know, uh, I have um, uh, sitting across from me, um, um, uh, uh, one of my team members, and she's always trying to rail me in because I'm going too fast uh, and keeping me focused. So, but yeah, it, 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 it took us a year, but it was a good process. It was, people were included. 
Um, this was not, you know, I didn't go in saying this is what it's going to be. And by the yeah. way, we intentionally created a strategic direction and not a strategic plan because yeah. um, two or three years um, in this day and age is a lifetime and the world is changing too rapidly. So we have uh, a strategic direction um, that guides us for five years and we create an annual plan of work. And with that annual plan of work, uh, we uh, attempt to achieve numerous things that lead us down the path of that strategic direction. And every year we assess, we modify and say, here's what we accomplished. Here are the things that we put on hold for whatever reason. And then we create the next year's plan and it feeds on itself. So it's a living, you're really describing a living, it's a, a living process. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a living process. It's ongoing. Yeah. And I, I think your process is refreshingly quick. So I don't want you to think I'm I'm being critical of it. I wish <laughs> no, I no, wish, no, no. I wish no. all institutions could pull together. And and in this day and age, in given mm -hmm. what we're all dealing with, that kind of urgency and timeline is mm -hmm. absolutely essential. You just you just can't take forever to figure this out. So um now you've also identified five themes that according to your website are intended to bring the vision to life. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I'd love to hear a little bit more about the relevance and importance of each one of these, the, the first one, and, and why these are the right themes for your strategic mm -hmm. direction. So the first one mm -hmm. has to do with providing a student-centered experience. When you think about what we do in the academy, students are the epicenter of everything that we do. They are the epicenter of everything we do. So if we're not student-centric and student-first and foremost, um, then we will be at a loss. We'll be at a loss. So everything that we do in our work uh, day in and day out is essential um, in making the institution thrive. So if we have business processes in place and they're not student-centered, then it's, in, it's impossible for us to meet the needs of our students. If we are um, um, uh, creating student activities uh, for um, uh, uh, our students and they're not student-centered, um, it doesn't make any sense. If I'm out in the community, when I think about those five strategic directions, um, um, those five pillars as, as, we might, 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 as we might call them, um, then it's all for naught. Um, you know, I'm um, in a meeting. Uh, we were just in a meeting with uh, Congressman Neal at a, at a breakfast. If I'm not talking about those five strategic uh, directions that are specifically going back to our students who are ultimately our future workforce, who are leaders of the future, then it's all for naught. So when we think about when, when, when we think about the, um, um, uh, the students. That's what it's really, really all about, the student experience, the student experience. So, you know, they are our customers, you know, and if we're not meeting their need, then it's all for naught. These are difficult days for higher education. Even before the pandemic, higher education was in a free fall. Colleges are closing and merging at an ever-increasing rate. Leaders are facing challenges from every direction. No wonder so many experts are calling for a new kind of leadership. 
The Baypath University Doctorate in Educational Leadership with a concentration in higher ed leadership and organizational studies, affectionately known as HELOS, was created for just this time and purpose. We asked seasoned leaders for their input and then we designed program in response. The EDD program prepares students to become self-aware, effective, adaptive leaders who know exactly how to leverage their institution's strengths and potential to create lasting change and enduring success. All coursework is online and students receive an abundance of personalized support from peers and from our expert faculty. And through the dissertation and practice, our students learn how to plan and implement a change process to address a real organizational problem. If you want to become a catalyst for change in higher education and have an impact, take the next step by visiting our website at baypath.edu edd. So the second, becoming a laboratory for academic innovation. Mm -hmm. How does that, how does that yes. fit? Yeah, so the laboratory for academic innovation is that we have to do selective experimentation, right? If we do selective experimentation, then uh, with our academic programs, um, with research, uh, with the academic experience, um, we have to try and fail, try and fail, try and fail, try and fail, try and fail. And we try five things, understanding that four of them may not work, but if one of them does, then wow, you know, so for example, one of the things that programs we just started is a new program in pharma genomics, uh, which is all about uh, how do you prescribe medicine for the D for DNA, okay? Um, but that's, that's selective experimentation, right? That's, that's providing a hub for, for faculty to innovate and think about uh, how do we take on this, 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 this new possibility of, of, uh, of, of pharma genomics and what that means for the human experience as it relates to the prescribing of, 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 of medicine. Uh, we recently just received a, um, uh, a million dollar grant from Mass Tech Collaborative for mm -hmm. FinTech through our College of Business. Um, that would be a, a case in point of, 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 of innovation, right? of our uh, uh, business faculty uh, trying something uh, new and different that's garnering resources that will ultimately enable us to uh, support uh, innovation and entrepreneurial businesses and economic development right in the city of Springfield. So it's the academic arm that, that's, that's doing that. So I think we have to provide um, the place and space for faculty um, uh, to be creative and try some new things, understanding that everything may not work. Yeah, well, and I, I think from the faculty perspective, it must be very encouraging to them to have this explicitly called out as a theme mm -hmm. because faculty, you know, faculty sometimes get a bad rap, but from my experience, most faculty are very creative and they're just waiting oh, they to are. be given permission to create. And so I think this is terrific. It's, a, it's, it's terrific. You've made it such a... Uh, you know, a, a, an obvious part of your priorities. Yeah, it, it, it is a priority. And for us, one of the priorities um, is to build the infrastructure to really support that, right? Yeah. Uh, and I know that, uh, for example, uh, Dr. Maria Toyota, who is our senior VP and provost, 
um, you know, she's evolving the center for teaching and learning, and she's building an infra infrastructure for um, 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 uh, for research and grant writing to support yeah. and fund some of these initiatives uh, as we go forward. You know, one of the reasons why I came to Western New England uh, is because it is a crucible and ripe for trying new things uh, mm -hmm. and creating new things. And our faculty uh, are are very, very creative and very, very very innovative. So your other themes, theme three, really, uh, you know, comes, it's very related to what you just said, promoting innovation and transformation. Um, yeah, so, so so promoting innovation and transformation goes a step beyond the academic uh -huh. um, innovation. It's really looking at our processes and systems uh, internally uh, and making them meet the needs of the present age is looking at all of our systems. And as you know, we in higher education tend to move very, very slow. So how do we create agile systems? How do we um, uh, teach ourselves uh, as an organization to learn, unlearn, and relearn to meet the needs of, 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 of the present age? Uh, how do we encourage uh, all of our uh, units um, to innovate the way that they conduct their business, again, to meet the needs of the students and the overall student experience, um, resulting in outcomes that will make them and put them in a position of high demand uh, for uh, the jobs of today and the future. Four is creating diversity, equity, and inclusion. You know, I see that on everybody's uh, top uh, strategy list these days. How might that look different at Western New England? Um, well, you know, I, well, first of all, you know, we have over what, 4,000 colleges and universities in the country. And I think how that looks on each campus is is going to be different. You know, for me, it's, it's real simple. You know, I think that we have to create an environment and make sure we have to make sure that our environment is an environment where everyone uh, has a sense of belonging. Uh, everything we do, we must mm -hmm. do with a sense of civility, uh, mutual respect and civil discourse. We must educate the next generation of young people uh, to understand that uh, as an individual with a college degree in a global society that we represent 7%, 7.7% of the world's population. So whether we like it or not, um, uh, we're privileged and we have a social responsibility to give back and leave the world better that, than the way we found it. And we must do that with a sense of humanity. So if you take uh, those those three things of civility, mutual respect, and civil discourse, and uh, you ground it in humanity. Uh, for me, when we think about uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, it's creating an environment that no matter who you are, no matter where you're from, no matter what you look like, no matter your lifestyle, this is a place for you and you are accepted. And the civil discourse piece is really, really, really important. That we don't have to agree. We can agree to disagree. We have to move away from this idea uh, with social media where I only communicate with our with, with my tribe, people who believe the same things that I believe. We have to create an environment where uh, our students understand that, you know what, you can have two opposing voices on the same stage and the house does not have to burn down. So this idea of belonging is understanding that no matter who you are and what your voice happens to be, this is a place where you can belong and respect it for what you believe uh, and the things that you espouse. Mm. Boy, that's, that is so important, uh, increasingly important. Um, and to have that space 
be something you're intentionally working to create and, and maintain. Um, your fifth theme, enhance culture and excellence. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is equally important to the first thing. The first thing was all about students. The fifth thing is all about uh, talent, our employees, uh, creating an environment and a process and a system um, where um, we're not just doing enough to get by, uh, but we are in the pursuit of excellence uh, and trying to acquire and retain the best talent that we possibly can uh, and creating processes and systems where people can be as efficient as they possibly can to um, ultimately enhance the student experience, to support academic uh, innovation, to support the entrepreneurial nature uh, and mindset of, of, of all of our people. It's about talent acquisition and talent management and creating the support systems and processes that will enable people um, uh, to maximize their success. You know, in the Lexus commercial, they talk about the pursuit of excellence. Yes. Um, which means it is a journey, not a destination. And I think that we have to be in the pursuit of excellence to support uh, talent on our campuses. Well, and I really like the language you're using to, to describe that. And this notion of maximizing human value, uh, mm -hmm. maximizing the humanity within mm -hmm. each of uh, the members of the community is such an important uh, aim. And again, it's not something you see very often. Uh, mm -hmm. in terms of the strategic direction of an institution. So um, uh, kudos, kudos for uh, including that and making it such an important important focus area. Now, I, I just want to go back briefly. You've done a wonderful job of speaking about agility and the importance of an agile mindset. And it 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 sounds to me like what you are about, tell me if I'm not getting this, but it sounds like what you're what you're about is really creating and nurturing uh, a learning organization because you're using the word learning a lot, teaching mm -hmm. people yeah. how to learn, how to relearn, and you do that individually. But you're also creating an organization that uh, is uh, is learning uh, in uh, in a collective kind of way. Is that is that an accurate uh, understanding? Yeah, I yeah, I, th I think I think I think that is accurate. And understanding that when we talk about learning agility and the ability to learn, um, it it breaks the uh, I shouldn't say break. It is it is not it is not the typical organizational structure. Okay, yeah. and I intentionally use the word structure. It's trying to create an environment that has parameters, but is organic in nature. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, so if we think of, of, of an organism, it kind of has to do its own thing as, as organisms do. And all we do is put parameters on it and say, as long as you stay within these parameters, the organism can evolve uh, in any way uh, that it desires. If we talk about creating organizational structures, then um, in, in inherent within that is, is, is our, our limitations. Mm -hmm. um, because the structures says, you know, you can't even think about um, 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 doing this because how are you going to do it? Learning agility starts with the what and then focuses on the how. The traditional organizational structure starts with how are we going to do it? And then we figure out the what. 
You know, if we don't know how we're going to do it, then we don't even address the what. So when we think about innovation and in, in, in entrepreneurship, it also starts with um, uh, the what. Take Stephen Jobs, for example. Um, you know, the story is told of, of his daughter um, who had, um, 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 who, was, who was listening, um, had a Walkman and was listening to music. And he said, you know what? I'm going to create something where you can pull up two, three, four, five hundred songs. And that was the invention of the iPod. Okay. So he didn't, you know, he, he the, the what was, I want to create this thing where you can listen to all hundreds of songs, have access to a, hundreds of songs. He didn't ask how we're going to do it. Yeah. Right. Um, so I, it, so, so, so that's when we think about the learning agility is getting people uh, to, to have the skill set and the mindset um, to just focus on what we want to do. And, you know, the alchemist, yes, um, yes. You know, there's this yeah. state, this statement yeah. in there, you know, that when, when you imagine, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, what it is we want to do that the universe will conspire, conspire to make it happen. And that's yeah. what happens when you start with the what. The universe just kind of starts conspiring to make it happen. So if we can do that as a learning organization, as an agile organization, um, then um, the possibility, we're only limited by our imagination. Mm. So how did you become such an innovative thinker and and leader? I mean, that that's one of the threads that you can pull throughout your entire, your journey, I think. Um. Um, I'm, 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 I'm not quite sure. Um, <laughs> um, you know, ever since, um, um, even when I was in college, um, uh, I've been fascinated by leadership. So I used to go, and this was long before, for those who are listening, uh, before there was an iPad or even a laptop computer or desktop computer, I used to go to the bookstore uh, every week. And I would just stand there at the at the magazine stand and just read magazines uh, about leadership because, you know, you couldn't afford to subscribe to all of those things. Right. Sure. And um, so I've always been a student of, of leadership and, um, you know, uh, following uh, great minds uh, from Alvin Hofler, you know, um, you know, to Stephen Covey. And the list goes on and on and on and on. And I would just consume um, that information. And I think it formed and shaped my thinking. And then I also think that um, because I have worked at a lot of different types of institutions, uh, I always had to go in and learn something new. And I think I reached a certain point in my professional career where I was able to draw upon, oh, this is how the large private Catholic university did this thing. And this is how the large community college did this thing. And this is how the small institution did that. If I take 20% of that and 15% of this, and then all of a sudden I have a model that's different. And they say, well, how did you come up with that? I said, well, it's just based upon my experiences. If you think about most people within the academy, they tend to work within the same types of institutions, even if they work at multiple institutions all research institutions, all small private liberal arts institutions, all public, so forth and so on. And there's a similarity there as to how you get things done. For someone like me who's worked at multiple institutions, I don't have that lens because I work at a lot of different places and have seen uh, the same things or same problems attacked in different ways, which I think forced me to always be asking myself, well, how could we do this differently? How can we solve for this? And simply because this is the way we've always done it, it does not mean this is the way we have to try and solve that problem 
today. Yeah. Let me let me ask you to go a little bit deeper there then. From your experience, are there some commonalities that you've observed among the most successful higher ed innovative leaders? Um, so common attributes or characteristics or um because what you've just described is actually something I've heard from other successful innovators. It's it's having mm -hmm. a wide range of experience uh, that has broadened your toolbox, if you will, and your ability to imagine things that otherwise you might not be able to see. So um, other common... Yeah, yeah I, th I think they are. And some of them are leadership principles that I learned from both my mom um, and, and, and my dad. Um, one being understanding that uh, the most um, valuable asset that we have are people. And you have to rely upon people to get things done. At the end of the day, I don't, I don't do much. Um, you know, <laughs> the success of the institution is based upon uh, the people who are uh, packaging the financial aid, who are teaching the classes, who are uh, uh, cutting the grass, who are um, uh, out there recruiting st students, who are keeping the IT uh, running. Um, uh, my, my, um, I, I think the the second uh, principle would be, uh, as my dad used to say, don't believe the hype theirs or your own. I think too many people who are sitting in my seat as a president uh, actually actually believe that they are that great. <laughs> and uh, uh, when you start believing your own hype or other people's hype, I think it becomes a um, self-fulfilling prophecy that ultimately leads to not being as successful as, as you can. Uh, the third would be um, uh, separate the person from the professional. Uh, my dad used to say, you know, when someone comes to you um, with a thought or an idea, no matter who they are, he said it could be your arch nemesis uh, on your campus. Uh, it could be someone you don't like and that they don't like you. Uh, whatever the issue is that they're bringing to you, the first question you ask yourself is, are they right? And if they're right, you separate all of that other stuff in terms of what you may think of the person or what the person may think of you and you pursue that. So you separate the person from the professional because at work, we're professionals and we um, have, to, have to deal in, in, in that way. Uh, I think the, the other thing is always asking the question, what next? What next? Um, the next one would be empowerment, empowering the people who are closest to the work to make the decisions and to make changes. And part of that empowerment is telling people, don't be afraid to fail. And when you make a mistake, own up to it and move on. Um, and then lastly, I think particularly in this day and age is to be authentic, be your authentic self, um, be true to yourself. Um, you know, to thine own self be true. <laughs> you know, the self is the Lord of the self. Who else could be the Lord? Obtain the Lord, and you will come to understand the true meaning of thyself. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's just it's just holding on to 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 some of those core things that that enables that. And then you know, you you take off the constraints and say, go out and come back with with, with great ideas. And if you separated the personality from the profession. Even that person that may not like you or you may not like, guess what? They have good ideas too. <laughs> yeah. And um, you know, and you and, and, and you pursue them. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Those are those are 
uh, they're going to go into my uh, leadership course that I teach. <laughs> I will be sure to share this <laughs> podcast with our doctoral students, many of whom want to be presidents someday. So this will be very, very helpful. So I just have a couple of questions left. Um, from mm -hmm. your perspective, what does the future of higher ed look like? And particularly for schools like Western New England, for Bay Path, where I work, uh, what are the most significant challenges that we need to have on the radar be thinking about? We have to adapt or die. We have to adapt or die. Um, I'm going to say it one more time. We have to adapt or die. We have to reinvent ourselves. We have to become more agile and meet the needs of the present age. And then we have to, at the same time, where we're meeting the needs of the present age in terms of helping our students to uh, have the skill set and mindset for the job, current jobs and jobs of the future. We have to try and skate to where we think the hockey puck is going to be, not where it, where it is. That's a Wayne Gretzky kind of yeah. kind of metaphor, yeah. you know. So what what do we think is next? And let's do some selective experimentation and go down that road. But having said that, we must hold on to our core principles in terms of who we are. We must never lose sight of the student experience and um, the faculty, uh, student, mentor, mentee relationship, but at the same time, we must embrace new modalities of teaching and learning. We must uh, identify new streams of revenue um, that, um, um, that, that, that enable us to not solely be um, dependent upon uh, tuition and order um, uh, to survive. Um, and, you know, we're gonna have to evolve our programs. And when um, programs become obsolete, um, we have to sunset them. At the same time, we have to create new programs uh, that will be relevant for, for, for the marketplace. And there'll be some programs, no matter what, uh, they'll be around for generations to come. And I would also say um, um, that if ever there was a time um, where the liberal arts were important, it's today. Um, because the liberal arts exposes people to a wide range of things. So we, we, we take kids, you know, I worked at an institution um, that had a huge video game program. And one of them created a video game um, related to um, one of the world wars. Well, if you think about that video game, um, sure, you have to have the technical expertise to do that. But if you're going to, if you're going to, you know, talk about a world war, then you got to have somebody uh, who knows history. Uh, you have to have a creative writer. If you've ever played a video game, it's a storyline. So you got to be able to, to tell a story. Every video game has music. So you got to have um, uh, some someone to uh, uh, create music or, or to bring music that already exists uh, for the nature of, the, of, of, of that game. Um, uh, no matter what the game is, there there is a, a psychology and philosophy behind the game. Uh, so you got to understand uh, philosophy and psychology of the user and the user experience. So and and so everything I just talked about. I mean, so the the programming and all of that—that's the easy part. Okay, so we got history, we got mathematics, we got creative writing, we have music, and the list goes on and on and on and on and on and on. So I would encourage, and that's why you even see schools, uh, business schools like. Uh, Bentley and Babson building in the liberal arts <laughs> to their educational model. Um, so uh, I think it's important that we have to have a balance of the art, 
uh, and the professional schools. And I think that's one of the things that uniquely positions Western New Western New England University uh, as a new traditional university with an agile mind education providing personal exploration and growth. Boy, that's fabulous. That just rolls off your tongue. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm imagining <laughs> you you say that a lot, but that is uh, that's a really wonderful, succinct way to to wrap to wrap up that that question. So. Um, I have one final question. It's called our signature question. So we ask all of our guests to respond to this. And so what educational innovation or new idea has captured your attention, something that you are particularly excited about? Um, I think the thing that I'm excited about, and I haven't figured it out, uh, and I haven't even introduced it to my faculty, uh, or our staff, uh, because I think it can work on both sides, um, is uh, virtual reality and augmented reality and, and the metaverse. And what does that mean for teaching and learning? What does that mean for the student experience? What does that mean in terms of how we provide services? How can, how, 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 how can we use uh, those technologies? So how can we embrace uh, those modalities of teaching and learning to enhance the student experience, to enhance learning outcomes, uh, to enhance how we deliver services to students. Dr. Johnson, it has been such a pleasure to uh, have this conversation. I'm grateful for your time and good luck to you in the, the you. days ahead. Well, thank you so much, Melissa. Uh, enjoy your weekend. It's gonna be pretty cold, but um, we'll get through it. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of An Ingenious You. This is Melissa Morris-Olson, your host. We are very excited about our season four conversations. I encourage you to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss out on a single episode. And if you like what you hear, be sure to rate us and let your friends and colleagues know so that they too can join the Ingenious You community. I invite you to visit our website for the Center for Higher Education, Leadership and Innovative Practice at baypath.edu slash chelip, C-H-E-L-I-P, where you will find information about our monthly free leading edge thinking and higher education webinars, as well as our just launched YouTube channel, where you'll find full video interviews with our most highly rated conversations from previous seasons. And while on this site, you can subscribe so you don't miss out on the release of new content and upcoming webinars. That's all for now. Thanks so very much for listening. Music